Hiya kids, this is episode 87 of the Planet LP Podcast, and for the past couple of years, I'm your host, Ted Asfragadu. I'm not going to lie, it's been a challenge to keep this podcast going. If it weren't for my colleague, Keith Creighton, I would have turned the lights off on this thing probably last year. Keith has been great about keeping this thing alive with his love of new music and his ability to dig deep into bands he's passionate about. It's that love of music that got me to launch this podcast in 2021. First, by myself with the awkwardly titled podcast name of Rooks and Beckards. I flew solo for the first episode, and then I got my friend John Young to join in on a segment. And then it blossomed into just the two of us for year one. We even got a fellow music lover, Michael Magali, to chit-chat many times on a music mini-series. And then he came on as a guest on various episodes. It's been a good ride with many wonderful conversations and many interesting topics that have kept me, and I hope you, engaged. But it feels like there are moments when it's time to say so long. I'm not quite there yet. Okay, don't worry, I'm not shutting this thing down yet. But I feel like this podcast is kind of coming to an end. My goal has always been to get people excited and engaged about music, to keep listening, to keep loving what we as humans create. It's also been a goal to speak to artists who have brought me a lot of joy from listening to their art. But I haven't been able to do that. No matter how much I try, my ability to connect with people who have shaped my musical tastes has fallen flat. There are simply too many podcasts to compete with. So, as I enter a point in my life where it's futile to try, I don't want to fade away just yet. Rather, I want to push ahead for a few more episodes at least by doing things a little different at times. But because I've been doing this format for, gosh, almost three years now, I'm going to stay close to that format most of the time so I don't alienate the Planet LP listeners and what they're used to. So for this episode, it's really a meditation, a meditation on rock music. And it's about rock music as defined by two iconic bands, the Rolling Stones and the Beatles. Now, why am I doing this now? I guess I'm feeling like I'm entering the onset of twilight. It's not that I'm old. I don't feel old. I'm 58. 58 isn't the retirement phase of life, but it's not exactly a tastemaker period either. I can't say that I'm up on the latest trends, the latest music, or the latest fashion. That's not the issue. Rather, I feel like whatever music I enjoy is best enjoyed in private, with earbuds, alone, away from the communal experience that music is about. It's not that I feel shunned or irrelevant, but I think it's because we're diffuse in our tastes. It's difficult to find common ground with others, to form bonds, yes, I know that Taylor Swift has created her own multi-generational fan base, but she's unique. Once she becomes a relic, instead of the spiritus mundi that she is now, and yes, I am quoting Sting and the Police, it's likely that we as humans will be more siloed than we are at present. Also, really, let's be frank, I'm nobody, really. I'm not a big music journalist. I found that my opinions on music have meant very little to others. Not that many people care about what a 58-year-old man who lives in the San Francisco Bay Area has to say about music. Part of that is the architecture of the internet 
And part of that is that my tastes are shaped by a bygone era. If you read the issue of Rolling Stone with Snoop Dogg and Lato on the cover, there are a couple of pieces by music journalists who write that rock music from the 60s to the 90s and perhaps into the early 2000s is problematic, that it needs to be accountable for inequities, that it's about a boys club of exclusion. They're right in their critique. Rock music as made by white males owes everything to the blues and rock pioneers like Chuck Berry or Little Richard. I don't think Paul McCartney could have screamed out, twist and shout the way he did were it not for Little Richard. Steve Perry wouldn't have honed his vocal style were it not for Sam Cooke. Jimmy Page owes a huge debt to Willie Dixon. The fact that publications like Rolling Stone and Cream promoted these bands to the exclusion of artists who came before them is an injustice. However, people rip each other off all the time. There's no pure form when it comes to music. It's a social construction where elements are built up into something more refined. Now, the economics of being ripped off, if you're one of those artists who have been ripped off, can be litigated in the courts. But the cultural exclusion by music magazines, radio stations, or MTV 40 to 50 years ago is something that's almost impossible to change. Unless you're committed to a cultural cleansing of the past like Mao was, but going forward, you can curate great music that's reflective of this big world we live in. Where does that leave the rock music of the Rolling Stones or the Beatles? Well, the music world has moved on from that style of music they made tons of money from, but they are still important to a wide swath of people. Skin tone, gender, sexual orientation, class, religion, even geography. The music an artist creates can speak to all those lived experiences even if the artists who created that music didn't intend for their music to do that. When I hear Pete Townsend's lyrics belted out by Roger Daltrey singing, how many friends have I really got? I don't reflexively say, oh, he's only talking about straight white British males. No, I think about my own life. Or for example, Jay-Z's The Story of OJ, where the N-word is dropped liberally, but with context. I'm not black but I understand what he's saying about no matter how you identify in the eyes of a dominant power structure, you can still be treated as if your success in life means nothing. Do I need to be black to understand and be affected by Jay-Z's lyrics? I hope not because if say Jay-Z's lyrics are only directed at someone because of a specific identity, well, it didn't work. (laughs) That's because people outside of a specific group also identify with what you're saying. And that's what I've been trying to get through to listeners of this podcast. Music can transcend socially constructed identities. It can also spur conversation and provoke opinions on what a band or artist has created. So it's in that spirit that I recorded some thoughts on the Rolling Stones and the Beatles as I drove home from my job on November 3rd. That's in the first segment. So you're going to hear me in the car and there's going to be some road noise. So sorry about that, but it adds to the authenticity, doesn't it? The second segment is about how a piece of music, and in this case, it's the Beatles' final single, Now and Then, affected my family. 
We were sitting around the dinner table that Friday night talking about the song, which my parents and daughter had not heard. So I played it for them and then brought out my microphone and tried to capture some of their impressions. And then in the last segment, I spoke to my brother, Steve, who was taking me to lunch the next day. He's a big fan of the Beatles. He loves John Lennon. So I wanted to record his impressions of Now and Then, which he relayed while we were driving to a restaurant. Okay, that's enough of me kind of blah, blah, blahing. Well, at least in this segment. In the next segment, you're going to hear more of me blah, blah, blahing. So let's get started. Like a lot of folks, listening to the new Rolling Stones record, Hackney Diamonds, I wrote it up on Popdose, gave it a four-star review. And as of this recording, which is on November 3rd, The Beatles have released their final song that that had come with great fanfare because of the technology used. And it started me thinking about the way in which some of these, well, classic rock bands are now doing their sort of their final lap. This is kind of it for them, but they're with mixed results, really. So you're in my car. It's a Friday afternoon. I got off work a little bit early on my way home. So I have some thoughts while I drive about this latest era in music where we're kind of saying goodbye to bands and artists who have, for better or for worse, dominated the charts with some good to not so good music and sometimes with some great music I'll start with the Rolling Stones because I'm not the biggest fan of their catalog or their work I'm not a huge Stones fan in that I mean I'm not one of those guys that says oh yeah the Stones suck I'm not that (laughs) I'm more of a guy who says I like a lot of their songs but I was never passionate about the band but with this last album it got me a little bit nostalgic maudlin maybe that's the word i want to use a little maudlin about the fact that this is pretty much it for the rolling stones they may have a couple of songs in the vault like the beatles did and they'll release them once you know whether it's keith or mick or ron wood passes on when they do maybe they have left instructions to finish these songs with some producer of their choice. Maybe they got a a list, a short list of producers, probably the one they worked with on Hackney Diamonds. But I felt like what they put out in terms of the quality of the music was extremely high for a late career album. Often with bands, they run out of things to say maybe three, four albums into their career. And if they keep going, successive releases get worse and worse. It's not the case with all bands, but it certainly is the case with a good chunk of them out there. And that's probably why a lot of bands break up after a few albums before they get dropped by their label or things just don't sell well and, well, people forget about them. Except for maybe one or two songs or one album, one great album that they released. But with the Rolling Stones, I feel like they put a lot of thought into this last record. 
it really surprised me to hear these songs because of the quality of the work. And I think a lot of that, and we had touched on this in an earlier episode when Keith Creighton and I were talking about it, is a lot of that goes to the producer who was able to help them with writing really good songs. Songs that are going to be played on the radio, songs that people are going to be singing along to, a CD or streaming while they have it on while they while they cook or while they're working in the backyard. The way in which music used to accompany us on various activities in life, whether it's just sitting in front of the radio and, or in front of the stereo and listening to a song, or like what I'm doing right now is driving. A lot of people listen to music while they drive, I know I do, not right now, of course. But with Hackney Diamonds, I think that the Rolling Stones have really put a nice cherry on the top of their career. I wish I could say the same for the Beatles. I know that this cassette of John doing Now and Then has been in the possession of the Beatles, and they tried to do something with it in the mid-90s when they put out that box set, and they had a couple of other songs that were unfinished and were in the vault. They released those, which were just like, meh, they were okay. But now, because of technology, which kind of seems like the story behind this song, that they were able to separate out John's voice from a cassette tape that uh, he recorded himself singing on a piano or at a piano, playing the piano. And because of the placement of where uh, of the cassette recorder and the microphone, that it picked up the piano louder than it did the vocals. So back in the mid-90s, when the surviving members of the Beatles were trying to do something with this song, they couldn't separate out his voice. It was just too much. The technology wasn't there. So now that the technology is there, thanks to Peter Jackson and his exhaustive, and sometimes exhausting, Get Back film, was able to isolate all these voices. They were able to do it with this song. So I've been listening to it on and off for the last few days since it got released. And I thought, well, maybe it'll grow on me. And the first time I heard it, I thought, well, it's okay. The second time I heard it, I listened to it with my wife, Julie. And we just played it on our Siri device, uh, HomePod, if you're <laughs> wanting to be correct about it. And she said, it's really great to hear John's voice. And I agreed. I said, in a new song context, it is great to hear him. Um, because I've never heard this song before. And here we go. Like, this is actually a Beatles song. All four of them are on there. Although, I have to put in a caveat here, folks. And the caveat is this. If you watch the making of this record that's on YouTube, just go to the Beatles YouTube page, you can watch it. Paul says something uh, kind of towards the end about George's solo. He said, I tried to be true to George's solo, which I took to mean, did he record the guitar part himself in the style of George Harrison? Or did they take that mid-90s recording of Harrison's solo and put it into the song? But the way Paul worded it, it sounded like he did the 
the solo himself. And it just sounds, the guitar tone sounds like something Harrison would do. So I don't know. Maybe the Beatleologists out there would know. But that's how I took it. But the more I started listening to the song and thinking, would they have included this on one of their album releases? Say it was on Let It Be. I don't know. I don't think it's a strong song. I think it may have had potential. And I was telling my daughter, Maya, on the way to work this morning, we were driving in together. But I said to her, I said, you know, this song may have worked better if maybe Paul came up with his own part to lace in that was maybe a little bit more melodic because he had the ability to do those you know, sort of Paul McCartney roopy doopy dooms <laughs> where he's, he's good with he's good with his hooks, the hooks I mean, I'm, John is as well but, but she's, she made a good point she said, well, maybe even though he kinds of sings in the background maybe he didn't want his 80 year old self to contrast with what maybe the 30 year old John or some 30 something year old John it would have just sounded too weird for his voice at this age to mesh with Lennon's voice decades ago I thought that, that was pretty astute but had all four been alive and been in the studio recording this song and Lennon had presented it to the group I'm wondering what they would have done with it. Would it have just been kind of like what you hear now? Or would they have taken maybe snippets of it and said, well, this is good, but let's see if we can make it better or great. And let's try to work our Beatles magic on this as best we can. So maybe they would have used part of it. Maybe they would have created a whole other song. You know, on Abbey Road, they have all those little, what are basically fragments of songs, and they laced them together, segued them together into a B-side that was, I think, really strong. It sounded great. Perhaps they could have done something like that with this. I just felt like maybe they were too wedded to John's vision of what was laid down in the demo and tried to stay as true to that as possible. Yes, it's a Beatles song in that Ringo's on drums and George, I believe, is on lead guitar. And Paul's on bass. John's on vocals. Paul adds some vocals. And then they add some strings that are very Beatlesque, of course. I, I know it's an unpopular position. It, it probably is. I don't know. I haven't checked the internet to see what the sentiment is about this particular song. But... I'm thankful that they did this. You know, the work that went into it was a lot. It wasn't wasn't easy to do all of this, to first isolate the vocals and then to build up the song again from parts that were recorded from people who are no longer alive. But they wanted to create, not really the illusion, but they wanted to, to be respectful to their bandmates and make this an actual Beatles composition which they did and again it sounds fine but I do not think if the Beatles had been together past 1970 that this song would have made it onto one of their records I think they probably would have said 
Well, it's not good enough. I don't think it's uh, strong. Maybe we could use it for a solo work or something. Maybe I'm going to do a solo album. Maybe that would have ended up on a Lennon solo album. Getting back to the Rolling Stones, I think they still enjoy playing together. And I think it was a real joy for them to get back into the studio and record an album and even record the last track like they did back in the day, which was on tape, actual tape. I mean, it's, it's really only three of them on there and it's an acoustic version, a blues number. But still, it's a nice capstone. For the Beatles, it's a nice to have. Is it a must to have for their catalog? For completists, yes. But as far as a song that will be remembered decades from now, probably not. Okay, well, those are my ramblings. What of my family? So we're listening to the last few seconds of the Beatles song, Now and Then. And I'm sitting here, actually, with my mom, my dad, my daughter, and my wife is here, but I don't know where she went. <laughs> All right, so we had just listened to this, and... I played the last 30 seconds over me talking. So, Mom, what did you think? I think I like it. I like the song. I think the song is a little different from the rest. I like the depth of the song. It's it's went off in a different direction. But yet, I think it's there. The Beatles are there in that song. And that's it. Nothing more. Well, there's more. Because you said that you thought that this would have been a hit. I thought so, because at the time, the Beatles were real top. They were on the top. And so anything they put out at the time, I don't think they would be conscious of the fact that it's different. It's, uh, so you like the song? I do. I do. So, Maya, what did you think of this? I liked it as well. There's nothing it? specifically. Would you download it and make it, put it on a playlist and listen to it? I did download it. I just downloaded it. Would you put it on a playlist? Probably. And if I made playlists. No. Okay. If it came on the radio, would you listen to it? Yes. Okay. You're a tough interview. Well, she's a tough one. Yeah. Uh, am I? What about you, Julie? You came home from work and you asked me if I had heard it and what I thought, and I hadn't heard it. And I was all poo-poo. You said you thought it was okay. Did I want to hear it? I said, well, you're not selling it to me, so I don't know. But then you played it, and I really liked hearing John Lennon's voice again. I uh, I like this song. I don't think it's their best, but I think it could have been on an album. You think so? Yeah. Okay. I think it was good. All right. <clears throat> Annie, what did you think? I did not like it. No, I, I think you were right. I don't. I think it would have been a reject. Yeah. Why? Well, just wasn't strong enough? <sighs> yeah, I guess so. I guess you'd say that. It was. It was weak. Hmm. What about if you heard it again? Do you think you might be able to maybe hate it a little less? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't think so. I just, yeah. Oh, what a Didn't care for it. <clears throat> Any concluding thoughts? Yeah, I think, Danny, I think it was not nice. What a shame, huh? No. Is this going to break up your marriage? Not yet. <laughs> Ha ha ha!
So I know I said I was going to call my brother Steve, and I did call him, and he said, hey, I'll be by, and we're going to go to lunch. It happens to be a Saturday afternoon when we're recording this. So I'm actually walking out now to meet him, and there he is waiting for me in the parking lot. And uh, I don't know if you can hear this, but he's, he's actually listening to the song Now and Then by the Beatles. Hey! <laughs> oh, you're just, you're just finishing finishing listening to it man yes i did the last bit of the beatles they are 45 years later wow wow okay let me put on my seatbelt here let's head on out and you tell me what you thought about about this song 45 years later has it been 45 years or is it more i don't know this is 45 yeah all right so yeah uh you know for myself listening to the song I was expecting something really big. I saw the announcements on, you know, the internet about, hey, it's coming out. It's going to be a big, big deal. Listen to it. And I thought, okay, just didn't stick out. It was like, almost like uh, listening to um, Free as a Bird when it first came out, where it was just, it's okay. And this one seems to be a little bit bland to me. It's just not, there's nothing nothing that really sticks out nothing that's you know like sergeant peppers or anything like that it's supposed to be new it's supposed to be great i just don't hear it you're not feeling it i'm not feeling it at all not so at all. you you mentioned sergeant peppers and they put a string they put strings on there there's a lot of beatles flourishes that are pretty common for what we know now is the the kind of the the style that they were going for sergeant pepper and onward with just sometimes it was a little more stripped down but then they had all this the strings like the like mccartney even said oh, you know what this needs it needs a little bit of strings man so they put it in and but even with the beatles element and the elements because it's all taken from a demo that john recorded i presume in the 70s was all passed over to george harrison and paul mccartney after Lennon gets inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and they decide, this is in the 90s, and they decide that, oh, okay, well, we could do something with this. And they did something with Free as a Bird and... Real Love? Oh, Real Love. Real yeah. Love was better of the two, I oh, thought. Oh, yeah. I thought Real Love was good. I mean, for what it was, because John was really into the song, where this one is just... You know, it's just kind of... Not, not, there's not much to it. And you just kind of expect a little bit more production value. I heard a lot of Jeff Lynn influences in there, and it just didn't seem like it was anything that they should have just thought about it just a little bit more before putting it out. What would be uh, snazzing it up a little bit more? I thought that they did put a lot of thought into it, and they were really hesitant about trying to finish this song because they couldn't because they didn't have the technology to kind of isolate John's voice. But now that they've been able to isolate it using uh, yeah, basically filtering systems that are computer, they keep saying AI. I mean, yeah, it's a machine learning, but come on, it's a it's a filter. It's really what it is. It's just to isolate the voice. So once you got that, and I mean, I'm not a musician, but I know what minor chords and major chords are. This song is all minor chords in many ways because it feels very... It's not up and bright. It's sort of yeah, it's down. down. It's down. Yeah. yeah, down to me because that's what I thought when I first heard it. I thought, huh? I mean, I thought there would be something that's really uplifting, Beatlesque, kind 
kind of thing, but I didn't hear it. I just, all I heard was kind of a, to me, it was kind of a depressing tone in listening to it. And I'll be honest, I really didn't think too much of it. So you heard it the first time, it was probably, oh, that's novel, that's interesting. And then the second time you heard it, you felt... No, I, I didn't feel it at all. Second time, listen to it again, because you, you're expecting all the different uh, chords coming through that you heard the first time. It just didn't do anything for me. It's just, eh. And you're a big John fan. I mean, that's your favorite Beatle. Yeah. I don't know. Did it really highlight him that much? I mean, he was singing it, but it was to me, it just didn't sound natural enough. You know, it, it wasn't really... It, to me, it was like a wall of sound in a way, you know, when I listened to it, because the quality wasn't all that great. Kind of muddy, if you want to say that. Yeah, because wall of sound, I think of Phil Spector's wall of sound, right. which is a different thing. But this is more like, there's not much that's sticking out. No, not at all. Didn't mean Phil Spector. Sorry, Phil. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he's alive anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but that's my thoughts on it. I, I just... It's okay. I don't see. I don't see it being a huge hit, or everybody's raving about it. And maybe I'll be wrong. I don't know. We'll find out as time goes on. But for me, going back to it again, I don't think so. I'll go to real love. Well, that was um, different. I hope you enjoyed it, or at least found it interesting. Follow Planet LP on socials. We're on X, Threads, Instagram, and Facebook. Email me at ted at planetlp.com. Thanks, as always, to the dedicated group of listeners to this podcast. The next episode will be the November New Music Report, so I hope you'll return to listen to that. Until then, take care. <laughs>